Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, this is long overdue. We get a chance to talk to Mark Topkin, our Rays writer, of course, for the Tampa Bay Times. And, Mark, I'm going to start with what happened in the middle of this week. The Atlanta Braves, if you had them winning the World Series, congratulations. You're probably a richer person, but uh, won the fewest games of any team that won a division this year. I think it was 88 or so. Uh, added to their roster, could have subtracted, and here they are, world champions. What do you make of their run? Well, I think if, if nothing else, Rick, it, it kind of reinforces that um, – kind of storybook thing that we talk about baseball, but anything really is possible because you do. You had a team that was below 500 until mid-August. You had a team that lost its best player, Ronald Acuna Jr., in July for a season-ending injury. You had a team that was not asserting itself in a very winnable division. You had a team with a couple of big-money free agents that could easily have become sellers at the trade deadline. And you had a team that had a general manager that went very aggressive and proactive and addressed these injuries. They also lost Marcelo Zuna, another one of their key players, for a legal issue. So they went out and found replacements, and not even big-name guys, but they found guys that were going to get the job done for them, and they rebuilt this team on the fly. They kept it together, and here they are going through some of the better teams in the National League and then through the Astros and winning the World Series for the first time since 1995. So... To me, that's the biggest takeaway is it just shows you that, you know, you're not out of it at any point during a season. You can find your way if you make moves and be aggressive about it to get back in a race. And it shows you that you can match up with stronger on paper teams. And it shows you that you can end up celebrating at the end by getting hot at the right time. Yeah, and it also, uh, and we'll get to this more probably in, in, in the future on this conversation, I think it also kind of, reaffirms what I think the Rays believe, which is, you know, field a team each year that can get into the postseason because you never know once you get in there, you know, exactly how it's going to go. Like you're, to your point, if you're hot, if you have the right pieces, if you face the right teams at the right time, um, you may find yourself in the World Series. Uh, now, along those lines, not an insignificant part of that Atlanta Braves team was Charlie F. Morton. And the Rays made a decision, and hindsight is always twenty twenty. but he was going to get paid $15 million. He got it from the from the Braves. Then I, you go back now that you have the advantage of hindsight and say, well, how much for Chris Archer? What about Rich Hill? Like, could you have done it another way and kept Charlie? Obviously, the answer is probably yes. Um, but what do you make of, of what Charlie brought to that team? And, and for my money, Mark, what he did in the World Series is better than the bloody sock. Yeah, I, I agree with you because there's no one suggesting that Charlie Morton faked the injury like there still is with Kurt Schilling. <laughs> that there was a conspiracy going back to the bloody sock. Was it ketchup? Was it blood? Uh, a couple things on that, Rick. First of all, I, I think if you want to say, in hindsight, should the Rays have kept Charlie Morton, it's very easy to say that now. I think the two yeah. questions you have to kind of contemplate or, or factor into making that assessment are, if you knew you were going to trade Blake Snell a month later or six weeks later, would, 
you have kept Charlie Morton. I think that the Rays obviously didn't know, I guess it was early November, so a month later, yeah, that they were going to keep, that they were going to trade Blake Snell, excuse me. I don't think the Rays knew at the time they made the decision on Charlie Morton they were going to trade Blake Snell. I think if they knew that or that deal had been done in reverse order, I think they would have kept Charlie Morton. I think the other thing is, I don't think they were 100% confident Charlie Morton was going to stay healthy. You know, he had one stay on the injured list during the short 2020 season. He had uh, another period where he was, you know, didn't miss a start per se, but he was shut down a little bit. So there were some injury concerns. Uh, I think, you know, with a pitcher that age, that's fair. So I think those two things were a little bit of issues for the Rays in that they weren't sure he was going to stay healthy for that big of an investment. So they took that money and essentially reinvested it in signing four or five players. Now, if, again, to their defense, if Chris Archer had pitched well, it wouldn't have been as glaring of a terrible decision. If Chris Archer had made 25 starts, you know, whatever, gone, you know, six and four with a a four ERA even, just something average, but they would have gotten something for their money. But he was a big chunk of that money that they saved, six and a half of the 15. Uh, Rich Hill, they ended up trading. Colin McHugh had to be pretty good. He was part of that. Michael Walker was part of that. So they spread that money around for four guys, didn't get anywhere near, of course, with Charlie Morton delivered for the Braves. But I think all of that has to factor in if you want to say, in hindsight, would they have been better keeping him? And the obvious answer to that is yes. Yeah, and and again, um, we have that benefit, and that's why we get paid to write about what happens after it happens, and they get paid to decide what to do before it happens. So it's a little different in that respect. I do want to talk, obviously, all about the Rays and, and their season. We haven't had a chance to catch up uh, since it ended. And listen, uh, they they went to the World Series a year ago. They, they took the Dodgers to, to six games. They come back. Um, they they retool, obviously, um, decide to go with more youth, get off to kind of a wobbly start, and then win 100 games, win a franchise record number of games in the regular season. You could argue the greatest season in Rays history. Back-to-back AL East division titles, one of the toughest and um, divisions in baseball. So, you know, the accolades flow, right? It, 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 so this is in no way to diminish what they accomplished because you have to do those things to put yourself in position to get in the postseason, and they did that. Um, having said that, I think it's fair, and I think they addressed this a little bit, and you did with them after the season, about whether all the analytics, all the moves that they make, the formula that they have during the regular season – if that can translate in a shortened postseason series. And is there any real answer to that? I mean, what, what was your thoughts uh, about, you know, just how things transpired when they got there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do think it's a, a fair point. I think it's a fair question. I did ask that of Eric Neander in, in the day after media session that they did after you know, getting eliminated by the Red Sox in the first round. And, yeah, you know, as you would expect, I mean, he acknowledged it. He said that it's something they're going to look at like many other things. But, you know, they, they did make the World Series last year. That can't be dismissed. And it was a, often an abbreviated season, but it was a very rigorous postseason schedule without the days off, playing at the neutral site, but also playing every day. You know, no travel days, no days to rest your relievers. But it was an asterisk-type season to some degree. So take that out. You know, they've been in the playoffs now six other times, including this year, and they've lost in the division series round in five of those. So mm. is, is there a pattern to that? Is it just bad luck? Is it just coincidence? Is it just circumstance? But one thing that Eric Neander did say when asked that recently was there is a greater concentration of talent on the postseason rosters. Part of the reason the Rays are so good during the regular season is they maximize their roster. They have 26 active players 
but between the versatility of the guys that they have and the ability to send players up and down because they have so many options at AAA, they play like they've got 28 or 30 guys at their disposal on an almost daily basis. But in the postseason, that's not going to help you as much. You can't send guys up and down. You have to use the same relievers over and over, you know, which may have led to Nick Anderson getting as worn out as he did by the end of the 2020 postseason. And you know, ultimately, that may have been the bigger issue than taking Blake Snell out if you want to really you know, go back to game six of last year. So just as an example, I do think that there's something to be said for you know, your best players have to be your best players in the postseason, and the Rays are built a different way. They're built without those star guys. They thought Nelson Cruz was going to be one of those guys, and they made for them a pretty big move to get him, giving up two really good young pitchers and taking on $5 million in salary. It didn't really work out in terms of what Cruz did. Now, he there was some other guys who did better with him around. Maybe that was part of it. So they tried it then, too, but there is something to this, Rick, where the approach and the model that works best for the regular season may not be what works as well for a five or seven game series. And I'm not saying those are mutually like independent of each other. It may be that you just have to construct your postseason roster differently or acquire some guys during the season, maybe to plug some more specific holes. As I said, they try to do with crews that would make you better in the postseason. Yeah, no, I, I think those are all really good points that you addressed. And and I also – but there were some in-game decisions, and you talked about this in, in your Rays Tales columns and, and other stories as well, that um, that sort of went against what they did during the regular season. In other words, you know, they're a team that uses their whole roster, um, defensive replacements, those sort of things. Yandy Diaz was playing third base in late innings. Um, you know, we saw a million different lineups during the regular season, and yet – Brandon Lau, who was clearly struggling again in the postseason, was still batting third, and Austin Meadows, another left-hander, was further down in the lineup. Why do you think that Cash in the Rays didn't make those adjustments? Well, I think I can answer a couple of those, and I think they're different answers, so I don't know if there's a theme or a pattern to that. I do think that Cash felt that he had to and wanted that he wanted to and had to stick with Brandon Lau and that they were going to continue to show confidence in him. Now, was that stubborn? Was that beyond reason after a while? I mean, we saw the Astros, you know, juggle their lineup and drop Bregman down and move Correa up you know, during the World Series based on similar struggles. Bregman's numbers were almost as bad as Brandon Lau's were uh, just in the first round. But I do think there was kind of this, you know, commitment to stick with him and thinking he was going to come out of it. He had finished a regular season strong, and I thought they expected him to carry them. They kind of did the same last year in the postseason, and he had the one good game in the World Series with the two homers, if I remember right, and that was really yeah. about it. So. Yeah. You know, there maybe misplaced faith in that one. The Yandy Diaz one, I agree with you. I was surprised he was still playing third base because in that final inning of the final game in Boston, you know, the ground ball that got by him to set up that rally and then the ball that he didn't make the clean play on bounce to throw and, and Choi couldn't pick that led to the final run scoring. My understanding in that situation, talking to a couple people, was because they, if they had been ahead, they would have made the move, and Joey Wendell would have been playing third base, which is how they did it during the regular season. But not being ahead, knowing that Chris Sale was likely the next pitcher in for the Red Sox, they wanted to keep mm. Yandy's bat in the lineup. Now, yeah. again, big bigger picture question. If you have a lineup that's more set and you have more established offensive players, uh, maybe you don't have to keep Yandy in because you've got other guys that are going to handle their own coming up in that situation or you're going to have more opportunities to make adjustments to face a Chris sale. But that was part of that. I think another question uh, you didn't ask specifically, but why was McClanahan coming in relief? 
yes, in game yes. four rather than starting Start. when if he was going to pitch on short rest anyway, why wouldn't you keep him in the role he's been in all year? He's yes. been comfortable in, you know, you already asked him to do one thing unusual, which is pitch on short rest. Now you're asking him to do another thing, which is not get his normal warm up in and warm up during the game and come in out of the bullpen. And, and the, my sense of that was, and I think Cash actually said this on the record later on, was they, there was a slight, like, you, you have to do everything you can to win that game. And maybe they were 1% not committed to that with the idea that if they'd caught a big lead early, if they'd gotten five runs in the first or second inning, they would have held off on McClanahan and saved him for game five. Uh, so, so you're okay. right. Some decisions that maybe didn't seem to go with how they did things during the season, but I think there were reasons for each of them. You may not agree with them. I may not agree with them, but I think there were uh, independent reasons for each of them as you kind of break them down. Yeah, and, and those were all um, scrutinized, obviously, as everything is picked apart when you get to the to the postmortem stage of, of any season. But I'll just say this about Brandon Lau. Look, there wasn't many more valuable players on their team during the season. The regular season, he hit, what, 39 home runs, drove in 99. And as you to your point, he was couldn't have been hotter when the postseason started. I think he had a three-homer game uh, maybe late in the year um, towards the end of the season. And, and also – uh, look, I, I was at the first game of the playoffs, and he hit two or three balls on the screws, and they just didn't fall in. And I don't know whether that got to his head or not. But for Brandon Lau, it seems as if nothing he does now during the regular season, it's it's sort of like when the Lightning lost to Columbus. It's like it's all about what he does when they get back to October, right? Um, right. right. It's a thing now. It, it's definitely a yeah. thing, and he's not going to be a good interview subject on this because he wasn't <laughs> – I asked him, you know, going into game four in Boston, I, you know, basically just kind of point blank asked him, what do you think's going on? And he said, I'm not getting it. It feels like I'm not getting any hits. I said, okay, well, what, what does that mean? Is it rhythm? Is it timing? Is it, and it feels like I'm not getting any hits. I said, okay, we're, we're good. We're good at that point. We're not going to get any further, but yeah, it, it has become a thing now. His, his numbers really through three postseasons uh, have been really bad. Obviously, last year was really bad, and this year he didn't get a hit. So he, he's right. It, it didn't only feel like he wasn't getting any hits. He didn't get any hits. But it, it's going to be something that no matter what Brandon Loud does in the regular season, and, and look, that was a great year. He's going to end up getting some votes for American League MVP, not first-place votes, but he'll show up on the balloting. I'm pretty sure that uh, you're going to see him get some down-ballot votes when that comes out next week. And um, He had that kind of year, 39 homers, 99 RBIs, and he's a really good second baseman. But he's going to have to, at some point, either play better in the postseason, assuming the Rays get back there again in the next few years, which you think they would, or this is going to be something that hangs over him constantly. He's also under control of them, I think, for a little while longer, and yet they've got some really good players um, that were up and down in the majors a year ago that are middle infielders. We know about Wander Franco. Um, I would assume will stay at short for the time being. Who knows? He can play a lot of other positions. So... Does any of that do you do you look at Brandon Lau and say maybe maybe he's one of those assets that they could fortify whether it's the minor leagues or their major league club with? Yeah, I, I think we've learned over the years, Rick, that just about everybody is available, but the Rays <laughs> don't true. really, you know, have the the untouchables and the pretty much untouchables and the most likely untouchables. I think in this case you could look at it and say, Wander Franco's untouchable and everybody else is probably up for discussion. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know that sure. I could. Maybe, maybe Shane McClanahan is in that category too and Shane Boz, but okay. I'm not even 100% sure because they, they like to, to trade pitchers quite a bit here. And yeah. so I, I think that's all we could say for certain. I, I do think that they see Brandon Lau 
as that 39 homer season is, is still not his best, that there's even more to come. And, and one of the wow. hitters who could really be an impact hitter and, and still under a fairly reasonable contract that he signed that longer-term deal. So yeah, I think he's probably more likely to stay. There's some other names that are popular players that fans probably won't be happy about that I think could get traded and, and will get talked about. I think Austin Meadows is one of those guys and, and maybe hmm. near the top of the list. Kevin Kiermeyer will be just as a product of his contract once again. And, yeah. you know, they had last off season during the trade deadline, but, you know, probably becomes a little more pressing now because they're at the point where you could get something back for him now. If there's an injury during the 2022 season and you don't get a chance if to trade him in July, if you don't trade him now, uh, right. you know, or he gets to the end of the contract and, and probably buy out his option and get nothing for him going into 2023. So, I think Kevin Kiermaier, I think Austin Meadows, and a name that's going to really probably shake some people up, but I, I think this is a possibility, is I think you're going to see and hear uh, some chatter about Joey Wendell. Mm. And, you know, Joey Ballgame, he could not ask for a better teammate, a better player, a better guy, became a team leader over the last couple of years. But his arbitration number is getting up there, maybe $4 million, maybe a little higher. And just what you said about Brandon Lau, I think might even be more so for Joey Wendell, is you've got Taylor Walls, you've got yeah. Fidel Brujan, we know Wanda Franco's here to stay. There's a couple other guys uh, in the minor leagues who are getting close that can also play some of those corner and, and middle infield type spots. So I, I think that's a possibility too. Yandy Diaz could be in that conversation. G-Man Choi is, I think, probably uncertain at best to be back uh, based on you know the production he's given them, his salary going up a little bit, the injury history. So I, I think there's definitely a couple of those kind of mainstay type guys. And and maybe they get rid of G-Man Choi and Brandon Lau slides over to first base and Joey Wendell stays or something. Maybe there's some ways that they can piece that together in different uh, scenarios. I'm sure there's many running through their, their heads over there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Always changes with the Rays. Um, I did want to ask you about one player, and, and you never know with injuries, but what do you think the future is short and long term for Tyler Glasnow? I think he's another guy who may get traded. And, and the Rays are in a tough position with this one, Rick. And, and I know we, we've all learned in, in being sports writers, we also have to be business writers and, and learn how to do <laughs> high finance and uh, depreciation and, and things like that on contracts and, and all this crazy stuff. But the money isn't a good fa doesn't work out favorably for the Rays here because the way baseball is set up is Tyler Glass now is going to get paid about six million dollars to not pitch in 2022 mm. as he recovers from Tommy John surgery. Then, because they can't really cut guys' salaries that are arbitration eligible, he's going to get paid about six million dollars again to pitch in 2023. And it, he'll be let's say all goes well, he'll be full go from the start of the year, but he's going to be limited. He's not going to go out and throw 200-plus innings. He's going to be pulled out of games after four and five innings. And you might be a smart aleck and say he would be anyway, but uh, his innings will be limited. So you're going to get nothing for the first year for $6 million. You're going to get not a full year on a limited basis, and that's if everything goes well and he doesn't need a break or doesn't need a rest or doesn't need an injured list stint. 
in the second year, and then he's a free agent leaves. So you want to pay him $12 million to pitch almost one season and then let him leave as a free agent and get nothing for him? Do you want to gamble that he's going to do well enough at the start of 2023 that after paying him six in 22 and half of 2023, so $9 million, you're going to get something back for him mm. in trade at the July 23 deadline? Or do you just trade him now to a team that is willing to give you something for the future that a bigger market team maybe that doesn't mind paying that money and knows they have a chance to keep him beyond that by signing him to an extension? Well, that's a really interesting decision. And, boy, I don't know if I'd want to have to make that one. That that, that could blow up in your face either way. But uh, what a talent and an unfortunate injury for him. Right, right. Just he... let's play, play that through. Let's say they, the best deal they get is from the Yankees or the Red Sox. And then he gets healthy, he signs an extension, he's pitching against you for the next five years. Mm, yeah, that that would not be good. Um, it's, again, it's just unfortunate. And I know the, during the time they talked about, you know, the grip of the baseball and the strain that he had on that and all of it, you just you hated it for him, and, and certainly they missed him, and that pitching staff need, needed him, needs to be fortified even more um, probably in the off season. Mark, I don't need to tell you that uh, we're not sure when baseball is going to start up again. I mean, the CBA is up. And we know when uh, players are supposed to report to spring training. I think it's not that far away as we get uh, into October now and into the fall. Um, what's the latest you're hearing? You've been through many of these labor disputes before. What's the general vibe, do you think, this time? Yeah, I mean, you, you wonder, as Tuesday night's game ended and that last out was made in the World Series, when are you going to see another pitch that matters, right? It's yeah, a that's right. Um, it, it doesn't sound good as of now, and, and that's probably normal for this situation. The, the CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement, expires uh, December 1st. If there's no new agreement, in all likelihood, unless they are super close and agree to extend negotiation window, you'll see the owners impose a lockout. That's kind of what's expected, which will then cause a freeze on all offseason business. So you won't see any signings. You won't see any trades. You won't see you know the Rule 5 draft. The winter meetings are supposed to start December 6th in Orlando. Those will be canceled. Um, yeah, I think you'll see a lot of things and then create this uncertainty because the owners will have the leverage during the offseason. Even though the players don't get paid, there won't be any movement. There won't be any guys signing contracts. There'll be some pressure on the players. Then if you wait till spring training, if this were to continue, the players could walk out and then cause, they would kind of have the control and put the pressure on the owner. So a lot right. of this is pressure. A lot of this is posturing. Is it possible they can come to an agreement? Uh, they're making more progress than they're letting on now. We know that any, like any negotiation, more happens when you get closer to a deadline. But there's some major economic change that both sides want in this game, and they want them in different ways. And it seems like for two groups that don't trust each other, remember the acrimony going into last year once they finally figured out they could play uh, despite the pandemic and the arguing over how long the season should be, when it should start. You know, the players saying, just tell us when to show up. The owners wanting to shorten the season. They argued over pay, how much it should be prorated. There's still a grievance pending on that that was filed by the union, uh, seeking hundreds of millions of dollars. The owners have had losses for several years. So if you're an optimist, you'd say everything is so bad financially. How could anybody risk losing even a dollar and having one regular season game in 2022 impact? They've got to figure this out. Or if you're a pessimist and maybe a realist, you're going to say baseball's at a point where there has to be significant change and this is going to become a battle of wills until they sit down 
and actually negotiate and realize there has to be give and take and no one can just win this negotiation. It has to be uh, agreed to communally. Yeah, that's that's a lot to process there. And uh, baseball has been known, um, you know, for for some labor strife, as all the leagues have. And unfortunately, it's their turn right now. I get you out on this one. There's a new mayor in St. Petersburg. He seems to be fairly um, confident, or I, maybe not confident is the right word, but at least uh, wants to see the Rays remain in St. Pete, if not Tampa Bay, if they couldn't make it work in that city. Um, you know, there's always talk about stadiums. I'm seeing, you know. Certain county commissioners in Hillsborough say there's more interest suddenly from the Rays in Ybor City, all of that. I think it's a story that's not going to go away until it goes away, Mark, which we're approaching that time, time right? But they rolled out the Montreal idea. Um, they, they thought about putting a sign in right field during the playoffs and changed their minds on that. Uh, round and round it goes. But w- where do you think things stand in terms of any kind of, of, of shift at all or – does it look like Stuart Sternberg still committed to this two-city idea? I think they're very much still committed to it, Rick. And and you know if if, if it's a if it's an act, they are uh, up for awards because they they have <laughs> uh, committed time, money, effort, blood, sweat, and tears to trying to make this Montreal plan work. I think they still have a lot of hurdles they have yeah. to get over. I still think there's a lot of people who who don't like it. I think we see that from you know social media comments from fans all the time. But I do think you're seeing a little bit of uh, embracing of the idea. And, and Jane Castor, the mayor of Tampa, certainly seems to be one who has indicated, you know, she's open to discussing uh, with them building a stadium that would be part of that two-city plan where they would only play here for part of the season. Uh, is, mm-hmm. is that where this ends up? I mean, a lot, like I said, a lot has to be done. They have to get, you know, in this economic climate, they have to get funding, permitting, land, uh, and partners to pay for stadiums in two cities that are actually in two separate countries. So navigating all that, they have to get approval from the players union, which is going to have major issues for the inconvenience. It's going to cost its players. They have to get approval from the owners. And and part of the raise pitch is how this is going to make them a more financially sound team. They're going to have, you know, enhanced revenues from television and radio, from having multiple contracts in different languages. They're going to have better sponsorship. They think they think they're going to have better attendance because they're going to have fewer games and thus less ticket inventory to sell in both markets i would assume the prices are going to go up specifically in montreal where it's going to be a very baseball starved uh, community at least initially but you know are the owners going to approve that knowing that the rays are also getting you know 50 million dollars a year or so in revenue sharing you know they're going to say well if you're going to become a better team then we're going to cut back on that and, and maybe the rays are fine with that too but all of this is very complicated and it's all kind of related I mean, I still think it's going to be hard to get that deal done, but I also think the Rays are not really considering uh, a plan B. And, and go back to the initial announcement, it was in June of 2019. Stuart Thurnberg said then, you know, there, this was not a, a first step to leave, but it was not an act to try to get a full-time stadium built. They seem committed, as far-fetched as this plan sounded initially, they seem committed to it. Um, so if they do get a new stadium built, you know, do, do, is there a scenario, and, and maybe this is naive to think, where – if they get into talks with Tampa or, you know, business interests on the Tampa side or, or St. Pete, but I think it's more likely in Tampa about a part-time stadium or a stadium for the part-time use for the split season plan. And that leads to discussion of a bigger project. I, I, I don't know. The Rays have said it doesn't work for them to stay here full time. Maybe that they can be uh, talked into reconsidering that if someone presents them to it, but no one has stepped forward that we know of yet. And it's going to take a massive effort. I think at this point to convince them otherwise. 
It's another topic for another time, but I'm just curious. Like, is there? I mean, do the players' union think that this can work? I mean, the disruption we've seen just during COVID with the Toronto club playing in three different cities. Uh, you know, the Canada being locked down. It is another country, as you mentioned. Anything can happen, but. I don't know. Some of these guys have families. Uh, it's not necessarily like leaving after spring training. I mean, is there any angst among players about this idea? I mean, I, I mean, my sense is, at least from the current Rays players that we've talked to about this, because it's still down the road, it's still at this point, it's something for 2028. I mean, realistically, yeah, yeah. maybe Wander Franco is still here then, and I'm not even <laughs> That's sure right. you can say that for sure. So That's it's right. not a group of players that is concerned themselves with it. And, and the staff, yeah. the coaching staff similarly has said, you know, this isn't something for them to be concerned with now. But, yeah. I, you know, I've talked to Tony Clark, the executive director of the Players Union. Uh, and, you know, publicly what he has said is that, you know, they would have to have a lot more information. There would have to be certain things that have to be addressed. I think that's pretty clearly code for, you know, compensation for the players who yeah. would be put in this unusual situation. Now, the Rays are going to pitch this, as they as they have from the start, is it's not all that much different than teams that move from spring training to their regular cities because the Rays' sure. plan would be to have spring training in the same stadium, whether it's built in St. Peter, Tampa. Mm-hmm. And whereas, you know, let's just take the Phillies, for example. Those players come from all over. They gather in Clearwater. They stay for six weeks, and then they move to Philadelphia and maybe they open on the road and you know their families make their way to Philadelphia and it all works out so I think the Rays are going to try and position this the same way just that that move is happening in the first week of June rather than the first week of April now is that going to satisfy everybody I don't think it will you have government issues you have tax issues you have health care issues you have doctor issues you have schooling issues for players with older kids I mean Mm -hmm. you are talking about another country so there's going to be further complications uh, the housing market is probably going to be different because you're looking for a place for three or four months. And, you know, most places that you get your six month or a year lease type of thing. So there, there's going to be some issues. There's no doubt about it. And I think that's all going to be part of this story as to how the Rays can can if they if they can, you know, kind of assuage everyone's concerns and placate everybody and convince all the parties that have to approve this that it can really work. Fortunately, you have uh, you are fluent in French, so it won't affect you either way, um, Mark. I, <laughs> no, but I, 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 may, wanna... I, I may be ordering one of those uh, those tapes uh, for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, listen, I want to wish you a, a, a safe and, uh, and and I'll say healthy for now um, off season. Um, it's uh, going to be back here before you know it, but it was a, it was an unbelievable year uh, to follow your coverage in the Tampa Bay Times on the Rays, which was just like I said, is enjoyable of a, of a season up until, you know, they lost to the Red Sox. If you're a Rays fan, you couldn't have had more fun watching them and, of course, reading about it in the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks, Mark. Anytime, Rick, and uh, let's see where this Buck season ends as well. Yeah, well, you know, they got the GOAT, so I you know, expect nothing less than, than a trip to L.A. in, uh, in uh, maybe late, middle February, so we'll see. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be fun as well. Thanks, Mark. All right, Rick. All right, guys, always great to talk to uh, Mark Tompkin about the Rays. Uh, This is a bye week, ladies and gentlemen. There is no Buccaneer game this Sunday, and so you're going to have to be stuck with watching the NFL schedule. Plenty of good games. Of course, no Aaron Rodgers playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. That'll be something to watch. That might actually benefit the Bucs if an NFC team at the top there can lose. But we'll be following all the NFL action. College football, of course, the Gators, Play South Carolina. You've got FSU and NC State. USF 
trying to go up against Houston, which will be a difficult task for them. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see sort of how Dan Mullen and his, his team bounces back uh, from that loss against Georgia. So thanks for listening. We're here every Monday through Friday. I'll be back on Monday, of course, after a quick trip to the West Coast. Try to unwind a little bit out there. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 